zombies are used as as metaphors or as symbols in almost every work that they appear in. And, you know, we just assigned three homeworks with very different sort of symbols that these zombies could be, um, you know, being symbols of... Wow, that was a stupid sentence. I'm starting that over. Um... <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast where we brains, uh... Do stuff. <laughs> where, where we, uh, talk about, where we assign homework and then talk about it, hopefully making homework fun. As you might have guessed by my, uh, entirely different intro right there, today we are talking zombies. Um, I am your host, uh, Pete. With me, as always, is my fellow co-host... Uh, Monster Hunter Martha Sullivan. Nice. Uh, Monster Hunter by night, librarian by day. Cool. Um, I guess I uh, don't have a great intro for myself. Um, I've been watching a lot of Supernatural. Hmm. That that actually reminds me what mine is, which is continuing to be a World Cup watcher. Um, and being uh, flabbergasted by this turn of events, this cup. Joining us this week is uh, my friend Austin. Austin, um, introduce yourself. Hello. Say a little bit about yourself. Hello, um, my name is Austin. I'm friends with Pete, and now I am Martha. Um, I am a teacher. I am an avid reader, and I have been enjoying this summer weather like crazy because we have not had that much. Yeah, Milwaukee finally had summer happen like all at yes. once, and dialed up to 11. Um, yes, they the air conditioning has been out at the library that I work with or work at for a week. <sighs> it's been out. It's been, it broke a week ago last Friday. Oh. They brought in someone to fix it on Wednesday. By Thursday, it was still not working. And then I took Friday <laughs> off. So I'm not God. sure where we left that story. Um... <laughs> But we had a heat advisory this weekend, so I uh, hope that they either closed the library or got everything fixed again. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. We were That's taking dangerous. we were taking pictures for uh, this wedding. We were both in outside yesterday, and that was a lot of fun in a three piece suit. Oh, I bet. <laughs> um. I was dying in my dress, so I have no idea how you guys are made. Like. Yeah. It was great. No one died. Yes. <laughs> um, and I'm glad it was a rental. <laughs> Before we talk about zombies today, it's only fair that we share with you, our listeners, our pop culture credentials. As you know, these are the things that we have most recently consumed, not edited for quality or guilty pleasure factor. Um, I'm going to start. I had a very clever idea where I was going to listen to the uh, the Cranberries album, um, so that I could, or one of the albums by the Cranberries, so that I could have listened to Zombie right before this. But instead, uh, Russia took Spain all the way to uh, a shootout in the World Cup, and then they knocked them out, which, like, literally just happened 10 minutes before we started recording. So Spain is gone, Russia is still in. This is the wackiest World Cup what? I can remember. Yeah. Uh, like, we've lost 
Portugal, we've lost Argentina, we just lost Spain, Russia's still here for some reason. Um, so that's my pop culture credentials, watching the Guardian's live update of the nonsense happening in, I'm going to assume, Moscow. Yes. So I, I have an honest question, because I have not been paying attention to the World Cup at all. Mm-hmm. Um, is Do you believe that this is a result of honest bad playing, or do you think that there are terrible calls happening? Generally, the only, like, pretty egregious calls I've seen were the Russia-Egypt game, where they just called no fouls. Um, in general, it seems like it's been, like, it's been good play, and it's been good refereeing from what I've seen. Um, okay, so then the teams that we all expected to win are just playing like crap. Germany definitely was. They did not play well. Yeah. They really did not. You would never know that they won the world championship last time. Like, they were disorganized and all over the place and could not could not get it together. Yeah. All right. And, and I've only watched like, Russia, a handful of games. Since so. Russia was involved, I had to ask. Yeah, like, it's Russia and also FIFA. Those two things are super not corrupt. Um. <laughs> not even a little bit. <laughs> uh, no, like, it all seems fairly on the level, but also really shocking. Um, cool, let's go with Martha next. What is your pop culture credential? Uh, well, as I referenced in my introduction, I have just been assimilating uh, Supernatural, or mainlining it, rather, the thing is that there are a lot of shows in the world right now that I feel that I should be watching. Um, I agree. But also the world is a trash fire, and <laughs> I simply cannot find it within myself to focus on The Handmaid's Tale, even though, like, I want to be watching it. I just, I can't deal with it right now. So I have sunk into uh, comfort food. TV basically, and right now that means rewatching Supernatural from the beginning when I actually enjoyed watching it. Um, when I was watching it in real time, I did break up with it around season seven, so we'll see if I get past that point on this rewatch. Uh, but right now, back in seasons like one, two, three ish, it was a really fun show for a really long time, so I've just been enjoying the uh. The terrible life decisions that people make on that show and mm-hmm. you know, watching generically attractive white people kill ghosts in increasingly creative ways. <laughs> well, and you don't really need to watch The Handmaid's Tale because you're on Twitter. Well, but see, that's that's the thing. Like, I've, I'm about six episodes in and I want to keep watching it, but it's like, that's my life right now and I can't deal with it yeah like right now i really there's a time and a place for tv that is like socially and culturally relevant and makes you think and like uh is hard to watch and i totally respect that but right now i need a you could get that from watching the news yeah and (laughs) i really need escapist tv right now so yeah pbs launching that new the new old great british baking show has definitely been like wonderful right now um cool austin what is your pop culture credential the most recent thing that you have watched read listened to whatever um hang on okay. other than the um, homework we all have a bad tendency to procrastinate on the i was homework. gonna say it's actually i mean most literally it's the girl with all the gifts but that doesn't count so <laughs> yes um 
So I think for me, aside from the excellent music playlist last night at the wedding reception that we were at, um, I would say the most recent pop culture that I've really been into has been um, the Netflix series Troll Hunter. And Mm. I've told Pete about this, Martha, but if you have not watched it, you should make time. It is an animated series about like the archetype, you know, single hero jumps in to save the world and has to co- overcome all these obstacles in a different culture and assimilate somehow while retaining his morals and like sense of self and drags more people in with him. And it's really, really good. It's directed by Guillermo del Toro and the first couple episodes are kind of slow and then it picks up and then it gets dark really fast and it's currently very stressful. I'm not done. I can't watch more than two episodes at a time. Um, and I do not believe anymore now that I'm in season three, that it is appropriate for children. So (laughs) that is what I'm currently into. It's very good. Yeah. I've heard really good things about it and it's it sounds 100% my jam and it's the kind of thing where I don't know why I haven't started watching it except that I feel like I never think about it until someone is recommending it to me and then it's like oh yeah of course and then I immediately forget that we talked about it um, <laughs> that's fair it but I love Guillermo, I love del Toro I love supernatural stuff I love animated stuff that's not really for kids it's it like hits all like of it. my buttons I, I'm glad you said that, like, it starts slow, then picks up a little. I saw the first, like, two episodes and just couldn't get it. Like, I, I was appreciating a lot of what was going on, and, like, I also love Del Toro, but I couldn't quite get into it, and so I sort of stopped. But if it does, like, pick up, that might be a good excuse to uh, to jump back into it. Yes. No, it does pick up. My, I actually started watching it with my brother. And we watched, like, the first two or three, and we were kind of done. We're like, okay, this is weird. We're going to do something else now. And then I actually put it back on because I like to have the TV on sometimes when I'm, like, cleaning or doing stuff around the house just as some background noise. And I mm-hmm. never want it to be something I have to actually pay attention to. I just want to have, like, random stuff. Yep. And I got sucked back in and was like, oh, my gosh, like, this is really interesting. And then my husband came home and was like, what are you watching? This is amazing. And then we had to start all over. So <laughs> Nice. Yeah, that's the other reason I've been watching a lot of Supernatural, is that I have been double teaming on relaxing media. So I've also been playing a lot of Stardew Valley, which I can't play that game while watching something that takes attention. Mm. Yep. So Austin, I highly identify with that mode of consuming television. <laughs> Absolutely. Cool. Uh, well, let's get into the episode proper then. Um, we're doing zombies. We're looking at sort of how do the zombies or how did this how did the zombies? We're looking at how do these stories use zombies in an interesting way and uh, do these like do our three different homework assignments, which are all really different and sort Very of different. below the radar. I'm I'm really excited with the three we chose. Um, but are they doing anything new or different to like your generic um, uh, George Romero zombie? Um, or even like World War Z kind of zombie. Um, and then secondly, like I want to get into why zombies are such an effective symbol for so many things. Like we have a, a rom-com, a political media thriller, and like a trenchant look at race and class in our three homework assignments. And 
zombies work really well for all three kinds of stories. Um, and, and zombies as symbols go back, you know, at, at the least to Dawn of the Dead and maybe even before that, where it's like an indictment of our consumer culture. So uh, I sort of want to explore why zombies are so effective at representing so many things. Um, and, and to tie into that sort of also what why they're so popular. Um, but before we get into all that, we should talk about our homework proper. Um, does anyone want to go first? Uh, I do because actually I, I want to take, I want to nitpick what you, I want to nitpick your intro just a little bit. Cool. Um, so I, I would, Night of the Living Dead came out before Dawn of the Dead. Yes. 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 Okay. Um, so that's my nitpick because, all right, so I'm going to start in the logical way by introducing my, no, I'm sorry. I'm taking ownership. Pete, you need to start because <laughs> <laughs> I did not actually assign the girl with all the gifts. <laughs> um, I, I was so excited to talk about feed because I've got like really strong thoughts about it. Um, but instead we'll talk about my homework assignment. Um, and I think I know your nitpick, which is that Dawn of the Dead also dealt, or uh, uh, Night of the Living Dead dealt with a lot of race um, issues. So my homework assignment, uh, I assigned the movie version of The Girl with All the Gifts. Uh, it's also a book. I think they were written simultaneously. Uh, like nope. I, nope? Okay. No. That nope, they did the book first, and then the movie came out, like, very soon afterwards. Okay, got it. Uh, but I, I think, was it this one where the... Um, the writer of the book also wrote the, like, screenplay? Yes. Great, cool. Mike um, Carey. Right. So, uh, The Girl with All the Gifts is set in post-zombie Britain. Um, it, it, it focuses on a young girl named Melanie who is uh, infected with the zombie virus. She, in fact, is a zombie. Um... However, she's not a mindless, ravening zombie. Uh, she and a number of other young children that she is being housed with in a uh, military base are, um, like, they become zombie-ish when they are, like, exposed to hardcore stimuli or if they're hungry. So, like, you know, if they're smelling someone's skin, something like that. But beyond that, they're normal kids. Um, the, the zombie virus in this is a version of sort of like the fungal disease that takes over ants and like makes them climb up to really high places and, and it's, it's really terrifying uh, to look at these pictures. Um, and it sort of postulates that humans were also infected with a similar fungal disease. Uh, zombie things happen. The lab uh, fails. The quarantine fails. Melanie and her teacher, uh, a doctor military commander, all uh, flee. And then they have to navigate zombified London. Um... It ends almost bleakly. It's definitely, like, this is an all-spoilers podcast because we assume you did your homework. Um, at the end... It ends bleakly depending on who you're rooting for. Yeah, exactly. Melanie realizes that she and other zombie children um, are the future of the world and all normal humans should be killed, so she causes a giant spore seed pod tower to release its spores Theoretically, uh, turning every human into a zombie so that the world is left simply to the functioning zombie children um, who are all being taught by uh, Melanie's teacher who is, survives in, like, a um, quarantine, uh, hermetically sealed airlock place. Um, the Melanie is played by 
uh, a young actress named Senia uh, Nanua, I hope I got that right, uh, who is a uh, black British girl, so we have a lot of race and class going in on this. Martha, you've got thoughts. Um, I do. So my first immediately immediate thought is that it, the Night of the um, Night of the Living Dead versus Dawn of the Dead distinction is important because while zombies have been used as a metaphor for like zillions of things, um, they were originally a metaphor for race relations. Um, and I was reading an article that I linked to in our doc in our show notes. Um, let me see if I can find the quote that I want to read out loud. Um, basically about how Girl with All the Gifts is important because um, black people kind of historically get coded as animalistic mm. in like really profoundly racist propaganda and like um, which is why in Night of the Living Dead, it like that end when the black guy gets shot by the military is so poignant. Um, and here we have a little black girl who is an embodiment of the like feral animal enemy at the end, being the one who gets to decide the future of the world and decides to just straight burn it down and start over and protect it for her people. Um, why that message ends up becoming so powerful. Mm -hmm. um, I loved this movie. I loved the book too, but I, I love the very purpose. In the book, the um, the teacher is black, Miss Justino is black, and Melanie is white, um, which makes the casting choice here seem very uh, intentional. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the article is called The Girl with All the Gifts is a Nightmare for White Supremacy. Hmm. And it the lead sentence of it is, the zombie narrative in Western horror has always been rooted in fear of the destruction of the dominant white society, the disruption of the white heteropatriarchal family unit, and the downfall of post-colonial civilization as a whole. Um, since its misappropriative beginnings, Western zombie narratives have placed otherness at the center, removing the zombie from its original lore in Haitian African religious traditions and constructing blackness as a monstrosity and a direct threat to whiteness. So while I do agree with you and we'll get into with our other homeworks that zombies are now used to stand in for all kinds of othering, um, I do think it's important to at least acknowledge that it has roots in... Um, sort of an anti-black tradition uh and i like that the girl with all the gifts flips that around and makes the black girl who is a monster also i think the main sympathetic character of the film yeah i both she and miss justino are like the two sympathetic characters um glenn close's character who plays the doctor is like the closest there is to sort of a, a actual like monster in the movie in terms of like her she's very sympathetic but she's also very driven by her goal to find a cure even if it means like dissecting and vivisecting all these like various zombie children whom she doesn't even see as children um austin what did you think of this um so when i watched this i was first and foremost, not ready um, yeah. for the children aspect. That to me was new. Um, and I think 
was a very interesting way of, I think, like, as an audience member, and I guess as a consumer of the film and its message, like, it got my attention immediately, because most of the zombie films in pop culture that a lot of people will really know about when you think of zombie films have more to do with adults and kids are more of like a, the innocence within children kind of makes them more off limits maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to see that the story was set around children really got my attention. Um, I don't know that I considered the race piece as much. Um, I guess I didn't look into the background of the book necessarily to look at the the switching um, in terms of the characters' ethnicities. Um, so that one didn't stand out to me as much because some of the other zombie children were not black, I guess, um, and they were all treated with the same level of I guess disrespect and like inhumanism because of their medical status and sure. that's kind of more how I saw that but I, I do definitely see where you're coming from um, well and I I admit that I read the book first and then I read about the movie so I was I went into watching the movie with that already kind of on my mind so it was a it was a reading that I was already prepared for and already had been thinking about okay I went in open. I guess I went in blind, so, um, but yeah, so I guess that was the thing that caught my attention first. Um, the, the scenes where she had to self-discover why she was dangerous, I thought were very, mm-hmm. um, I don't want to say heartbreaking necessarily, but they were very emotional, like, for her as a character to to not understand for the first part of the movie where they're kind of setting the story why she is dangerous and why she's not a normal child and she's this very like young and gifted um, individual and then all of a sudden this you know situation happens with the how many spoilers do I give all the spoilers all of them <laughs> okay <laughs> we we assume people okay. have uh you know seen the no, no, no. seen the stuff okay, okay. um. So with the, like, basically the rest of the infected zombies coming in and trying to take over the military compound and her being exposed and eating human flesh for the first time and then realizing, like, why she is danger to the people around her that, especially that she cares about in in her mind and how she interacts with them, like, and then she agrees to to put those like protection pieces on like, the, like the, to the, protect the, the people mask. that she loves from her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that to me was very powerful. Um, I think the way that it ended, um, I would have appreciated maybe a little more scientific background on the spore situation. Like I understand what, I understand the science piece of it and like the the spores will infect the world but I didn't 
quite understand what that was going to look like. So I feel like in that sense, they set it up very well for the sequel. Oh, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I was kind of just like, okay, like it's not over till it's over. And then it was mostly done. And I'm like, oh, okay. All right. Well, we're, there's, there's clearly more information and more of the storyline to be developed. Like there's more coming. So. But actually the book has a sequel out. Oh, does it? Uh, yeah. Yes, yeah, it's called The Boy on the Bridge. Hmm. I haven't read it yet, but I know it exists. Okay. Um, yeah, this movie is basically my worst nightmare. Uh, I, <laughs> Com- combining parasitic spores and zombies. Yes, no, I, I, am, I have a phobia of parasites and fungus. <laughs> and this, the science in this movie is based off of those spores that infect insects. And in the rainforest and like cause them the it, it functions exactly in bugs the way that it does in humans here. So like they start off by um, taking over control of the insect's nervous system and then driving them to like the top of the um, tree layer where they then kill their host and sprout and release more spores into the air, which go and settle into other insects. Now, if, um, if you want to have some nightmares, go ahead and Google search the <laughs> name of this thing, which is uh, Aphiocordyceps unilateralis. Um, the easiest way to find that is to go to the girl with all the gifts wiki page and click the <laughs> link there. Uh, but yeah, nightmare Yeah, I learned fuel. about it on planet Earth. <laughs> I think I've actually seen a nature video about this particular spore, and as I recall, it was fascinating and also terrifying. Correct. Yes. That, that is the best way to describe it. Um, so, Pete, yeah. you assigned this movie without having seen it before. What did yes. you think about it? I loved it. Um, I, I Like Austin, I was really struck in the beginning parts with how they were treating the kids. Um, and, and also just, like, how terrible their education was. Miss Justino is doing a great job, but clearly it's more of a holding pen for them until um, Glenn Close can dissect them. Um, I, I really liked sort of all of it. It's, it's a bleak movie, you know, like, like we were saying earlier, Martha, it's a bleak and depressing ending or is it? Um, and I really like that sort of ambiguity of we, the audience are like following Melanie the entire movie. So we're rooting for her, but rooting for her means that we're rooting against humanity, which is a great sort of inversion of the zombie trope where you're always sort of cheering for the humans. Um, we're going to get I was in... going to say, I've... Oh, sorry. Uh, well, well, we're going to get into this too when we talk about warm bodies, but this is like, we, we randomly picked two different homeworks that have like the zombie as the main character, which is a very unusual uh, take. I thought it was really interesting that you called Glenn Close the main villain of the movie because putting yourself in her shoes, I, I don't know that villain is the correct word because from her point of view, or she's like, trying to save the world. Right. Yeah. And yeah. why, even if, even if you accept the fact that Melanie is a like fully sentient, um, like empathetic, sympathetic, hu- uh, not human, but, um, child even even from that perspective isn't isn't sacrificing one person to save all of humanity like isn't that choice worth it i mean yeah we can definitely get into like the utilitarian (laughs) argument on it um 
but from from like the way it's structured, like from the way that the movie is structured. Um, oh yeah. Like like Melanie is our protagonist, and other than zombies and survival, Glenn Close is sort of the closest to an antagonist we have. Um, Patty Con- like Patty Constantine, and this is the second movie that I've assigned with him in it. Uh, he played Banquo in Macbeth. Um, is like could be that sort of villain character and starts out in that role, but then sort of becomes much more sympathetic as the movie continues, whereas Glenn Close doesn't. Is he the sergeant? Yeah. Ah. All right, well, that seems like a good segue to talk about Warm Bodies, uh, which is the other homework that we assigned where the zombie is the main character. Um, So unless anyone's got anything else they want to talk about, specifically about the girl with all the gifts... I want to go back to the idea of zombie children, but it doesn't have to be now. Cool. We can backburner that for a sec. Cool. Okay. Um, and that can probably fit in with feed when we get there. So, uh, Austin, go ahead and give us like the quick two-minute summary of um, Warm Bodies, and we'll get into it. Okay. Um, so, Warm Bodies is about a zombie named R, just the letter R, and he, I think... The movie takes place after the zombie apocalypse, so the world is overrun by zombies, and most of the humans live in walled-off cities, like areas where they have extensive security and whatever. Um, And so this main character, R, is living on an airplane. He's got his zombie friends, and the way they set up the beginning of the film shows there are two levels of zombie, very similar to some of the other things that we're looking at today. and that there are the bonies who are these skeleton like creatures who have no human connection. They're they're what we think of when we think of zombies. And then there are these like medium level zombies kind of who still have more of a human um, physique and are able to kind of communicate to each other sometimes. They kind of like grunt and moan, bump each other. And they try to talk, sort of, but they can't. And they don't have heartbeats, and they do still eat people. Um, but the difference between the two kinds of zombies are very, um, very, very clear. Um, and so the medium-level zombies are out looking for food, and they run into this girl, Julie, um, and some of her friends. And they're out in the zombie community looking for medical supplies or some something. Um, and... R sees Julie and kind of like his heart beats for the first time, which is supposed to be theoretically impossible. So in the, in the chaos that follows, um, Julie's boyfriend gets killed and eaten by R, which is very interesting. Um, And then R gets all of her boyfriend's memories of Julie and is like instantly in love with her because he had this initial attraction on his own. He had his first heartbeat and now he has all of boyfriend's memories of Julie. And so he ends up saving Julie from all of these other zombies that are technically his friends and um, hides her. And Julie is super scared and is like, Oh my God, I'm going to die and tries to escape. And R has to save her. And they have multiple interactions where they're trying to kill time before he can get her out of there. And he eventually explains to her, like, hey, I ate your boyfriend. And um, they have, 
I don't know, they have like this building relationship where it's impossible because she's a human and he's a zombie, but somehow it kind of works. Um, the CGI is not very good, but it's not necessarily about the zombie experience per se, and it's more about the human connection between the human and the non-human. Um, and so what happens is when all of these interactions are taking place, our medium-level zombie friends are drawn in um, in a couple of various situations, and they start to become more human and thus more tasty to the like low-level zombies who are trying to kill them. And so R comes to this military base where Julie is and is trying to explain that the zombies are changing and coming back to life. Um, the military people obviously do not believe them because, hello. And then kind of this all-out battle ensues when the bad zombies show up and try to kill everybody all at once. So there's this huge, like, sorry, this a little disorganized um in my head but there's like the final battle is like the medium zombies and the humans fighting together R jumps with julie like off a cliff into a pool and everyone thinks they're dead and it turns out that he saved her life because he used his zombie body to make sure that she didn't die from the impact and then there's like this iconic kiss at the end and her dad who is the military head guy shows up and shoots him um, and he starts bleeding. And so when the military discovers this human interaction with medium level zombies, um, they're changing the medium level zombies into more of a human like status um, and slowly returning back to their full human selves. And that kind of allows the two groups to work together and, and the apocalypse. Cool, Martha. Um, this movie is fine. Um, <laughs> I I had seen it before, and it okay. it is it is actually more interesting to me in the context of Girl with All the Gifts, um, because I think that it's super interesting that we picked two pieces of media that both give the zombies agency, uh, because the kind of trope of the zombie is like this mindless monster where the only thing. Like, the only thing they can think about is consumption. Uh, and I do think that Warm Bodies does some interesting stuff about giving them other desires. I, I think there's there's something in the idea of, like, trading the desire of consumption for food for the desire of consumption... desire for consumption of affection. Um, I'm not quite there yet with that one. <laughs> um but yeah, it sounds good. It's cute. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's cute. I don't know if you guys have seen this. Um, it's the Netflix series. I think it's iZombie. Yes. Yes, and that main character. I think, because I do agree with you. I think if he had not eaten boyfriend's brains to get the memories of her, I don't think that the story could have developed the same way. And I know that's been a common thread in some zombie stuff I think iZombie is where I've seen it the most where somebody eats the brains and then they get the memories and the life experiences and whatever of that person that they just ate and I, I really do like that take on it um, and I also like I, I didn't realize it was 
uh, in places other than this movie. Um, and I also like the idea of, like, levels of zombies. Um, we saw that a little with the girl with all the gifts, where there were, like, the more parasited zombies, but they weren't more threatening. Yeah. They were just, like, they were sprouting. Um, in well, they're more threatening in that they don't have an intellectual... Because, like, we get to see Melanie actually deny her... Oh, I, I was actually um, just talking about the guys who got even more parasited, like, with all the sticks coming out of them. Um, oh, but I guess yeah, the you're... ones who are, like, full-on mushroom. Right. Whereas, I guess, though, Melanie is a second level of zombie. Um, coming back to here, I, I really like the idea of, like, there are, are mid-level zombies and then super zombies, and, like, even, even the mid-level zombies are, like, prey um, once they become too human-like. Uh... Most other media I've seen is just like, you know, the zombies, as time goes on, they deteriorate and become less threatening. But in this, it's like, as time goes on, they almost become more threatening. Uh, yes. Which is definitely a a, a good and, and, I would say, more scary version of uh, the zombie, like, apocalypse. Well, and it's also, it's also weirdly true. See, Austin, now I'm mad that I didn't think about assigning iZombie for this. Um, <laughs> I didn't think about it either. I was just like... Because that's a that's a story point in iZombie too. Like as long as the zombies in that eat brains every once in a while, they're able to maintain uh, sentience and like their human faculties. And if they start starving, it's when they turn into like totally mindless monsters. Yeah. And then there's no coming back from that. Like it's an irreversible mm -hmm. uh, condition. Um, I, 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 really so far. I mean, like yeah. show's got one more season. <laughs> <laughs> um, Austin, I also like that you assigned uh, that uh, like a movie that is effectively uh, Romeo and Juliet, but with zombies. Um, and then obviously <laughs> it becomes less so as it goes on. But like, he's R, her name is Julie. We, we get what's going on here. Um, yeah. And I'm a little bit surprised that you didn't assign Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Um, I was going to, but I honestly figured it might be a little too stereotypical of me, so I was trying to go with something else. One well, and like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, we could talk about how it's like zombies are popular in culture, but I'm not sure if it has as much like that you could like brace yourselves for this one, sink your teeth into, um, <laughs> as uh, ha -ha. as warm bodies. <laughs> um, well, and I do appreciate the fact that like zombies are the least romantic monster <laughs> yeah and we They're still get an, a pretty effective romantic comedy utilizing them yes yeah because yeah it starts out as romeo and juliet and then kind of turns into beauty and the beast but is always very tongue-in-cheek about it mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah that's a good way to put it stockholm syndrome is real <laughs> and a great plot for a romantic comedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean Yeah. You save the world at the end, so But yeah, what do we what do we think about this idea of positioning a zombie or zombie like figure as the um point of view character? Because, you know, traditionally a, a very traditional zombie story has the survivors as the the point of view characters and between this and girl with all the gifts it's like it almost feels like the next place once zombies have been played out the next place you go is well what does this look like from the monster's point of view 
I I think that the the two ones we've done work because there's humans are a barrier or like a hurdle to overcome. They might even be a second tier antagonist, but there's always also a second like a, a second antagonist as well. Um, the bonies, obviously, in warm bodies, um, and even like the feral children in Girl with All the Gifts are like you have Melanie and her human friends being pitted against like feral zombie children, um, so that like you can still root for some humans and Melanie, and it's not just all like you know, cheering for the zombies to capture the last mm-hmm. town of humanity. There's always, like, something else going on. But I think also, Pete, to continue on that, both of these films, um, the main character being a zombie, is a very different perspective than what media has traditionally used to approach it. But they're also the kind of zombies that still have a significant amount of human-like qualities for the mm-hmm. audience to be able to identify with character development. Like, mm-hmm. we're not coming from the perspective of a fully infected, can never go back, can never change, like, can only become decapitated zombie that is only eating people because there's nothing you can really do with that besides eating people and then getting your head chopped off. You Like, there's not as much story development there. Um, unless the capacity for change is there. So I think with these first two that we've looked at, and we did not do this on purpose, um, (laughs) we happen to have the main characters who are able to think and analyze and build relationships and look at the future and not be in such a stagnant food consumption-only based place. Well, that's a really good point because, like, zombies... Zombies are, like, the canonical monster that is, like, worse as a horde, right? Like, one zombie isn't scary. Zombies get scary the more of them they are. Um, tracking back to, like, Martha, the conversation we were having earlier about race, they are the the faceless other horde who are, like, you know, attacking society, whatever. Um, but here we have zombies who aren't faceless or nameless or generic and replaceable. They are. They have personalities. They have unique identifying traits. Um, I think it'd be cool to see a 15-minute short film set from the zombie perspective as they overrun a small town. <laughs> but it might not actually work that well. There is... It's not a film, but there is a short story anthology out there called Zombies vs. Unicorns. <laughs> and it's... It is alternating stories about um, zombies or unicorns, but the whole story, the whole anthology is horror-based, which tells you what kind of unicorns we're talking about here. Um, And I think at least one of those stories is exactly that, Pete. Hmm. Interesting. Well, Hollywood, get on adapting that story. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. Um, We should probably segue to our third homework assignment, uh, which is... They're all very different, but this one I think is the most, um, playing playing it straight the most with the, the zombie genre. Um, so, Martha, take it away. Yes. Uh, so, I assigned the novel Feed, which was a 2010 novel by Mira Grant. It's the first in a trilogy uh, called the News Flesh series. 
Uh, and the plot of Feed is that the whole story takes place about 20 years after the zombie apocalypse has come and gone. And now we are all learning how to deal with our lives in a post-zombie world. Um, our main characters are Sean and George, uh, adopted siblings who run a news blog um, because one of the ways the world changed after the zombie uprising was that um, networked and mainstream news outlets got uh, basically supplanted by uh, more independent journalist sources because they weren't, uh, they were basically refusing to report on what was actually happening. So um, journalism and news became a very grassroots movement because that was the only way people were getting like the actual story of what was what's going on. Uh, so Sean and George run their blog website, and they land the job of covering the presidential campaign of uh, Senator Peter Ryman. So they go with him on his campaign trail. Uh, shenanigans happen, uh, including a couple of zombie attacks that they discover were orchestrated, uh, which leads them to uncovering a conspiracy led by uh, basically religious right-wing America, although that's not the end of it, as we find out from the later two books. Uh, lots of people, lots of people die. Um, the couple of interesting zombie-related things about this one is that the zombie virus was created when uh, two separate people developed two separate cures for cancer and the common cold, uh, which got combined uh, into a sort of mega virus that um, now just lives in the air. So everybody has it. Um, and while nobody ever gets colds or cancer anymore, everyone carries within them the potential for uh, amplification into zombiehood. Um, so that is just something that we all live with now. The other cool mm -hmm. thing with the zombies here is that any mammal over like 40 pounds can become a zombie. So like a large dog or a horse or, or like people don't eat meat because cows are all infected. Um, and I, I thought that was a really interesting like twist as well because we only ever see human zombies. Um, animal zombies would be terrifying. A hippo zombie. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, God. No, one, no one goes to Africa anymore. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, but, yeah, what I love about this book is that for a, a very long time, I have felt very strongly that zombies were kind of overplayed, and I was really done with them unless somebody could, like, tell a new kind of story. Um, and I loved that this story just zombies are a thing and they're real and it's more about how we deal with them and I think the author uh, Mira Grant which is a pen name for uh, Shannon McGuire um, she took a lot of care in the details of her world like it feels really well thought out to me from like top to bottom okay if this was our reality how would we deal with it and how would things change like there are no big sporting events or concerts anymore because to have that many people in one enclosed space would be suicide. Um, she actually has a very effective short story uh, about San Diego Comic-Con happening at mm. the point when the zombie outbreak starts, and it's horrifying. Yeah, that sounds awful. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but yeah, Pete, one of the reasons I picked this one is because it felt 
it felt like the kind of thing you would enjoy quite deeply. <laughs> um, I definitely enjoyed this a lot. I loved the... Um, her, her world building, as you said, was incredible, and I was in it almost immediately. Um, very clever, very smart, and very uh, consistently drawn. Um, I also love that since this was published in 2010, means it was probably written in the late aughts, and it's such late aughts media. Like, it's the blogosphere. Cory Doctorow is running around in his hot air balloon with a cape and goggles. Uh, and I, I just love that, like, look back eight years later, now that we are in uh, the worst timeline and, and Twitter is just a, a dumpster fire, we can look back and be like, blogs, those were things, and they were great. Um, I, I like political thrillers. Um, Ryman was from Wisconsin, so gonna shout that one out. Uh, the AV Club described this book in its review as being like the West Wing meets a zombie movie, and I think that's fairly accurate. Although I will say that like the biggest thing that I kept coming back to, and maybe this was just just the difference of like you know, ten years between when it was written and now is. She seemed very much like a political neophyte, or like she had read, um, and was actively trying to emulate uh, Hunter S. Thompson's Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail 72 in, like, the way it was structured, um, the major events, which was great, but that's not where politics has been. Like, it, it, it felt, like, it felt great as long as I, like, turned off my highest functioning, most critical part of the brain, uh, and just, like, allowed myself to get immersed in the the world and the story. Um, also, the twist at the end was phenomenal, and I did not see it coming. Which twist? Uh, the part where she dies, where Georgia dies. Oh, where Georgia dies? And then yeah. all of a sudden, we're, like, we're switching POV characters. Um, I generally don't like first-person POV as much as third-person, but here it was hyper-effective because, like, three-fourths of the book was written from... Georgia's first-person perspective. So you're like, well, it's her perspective. She's not going to die. Um, when then she turns Surprise! and then... Yeah, and then her brother's narrating it. It's like, whoa, that was really effective. Uh, Austin, how about you? Um, I definitely agree on the Georgia situation. I was not, um, not ready for that. <laughs> um, so the thing that I think caught me with this story was the way that they used the media um, mm -hmm. to show influence and the I guess the way that the media and news reporting in general and how they classified the different kinds played a role in this story. Um, I know that this book was written a while ago, but I definitely saw some parallels to how our media in the real world has kind of channeled some of these different interpretations um, that they have in this book. So the, let me find the, the list here real quick. Um, okay, so they had the, the newsies are the objective fact-based reporters. And I was like, okay, well, that's probably the BBC. Um, the, <laughs> who, the stewards who are report opinion informed by fact and I was just like, okay, well, you know, regardless of where you're coming from in the United States, that's kind of how we see our news media being today. Like, we don't necessarily see any newsies um, or we feel that our stewards 
are newsies when really they're Stuarts. Um, I, so... I assume that Stuart was uh, named after John Stuart, so that was sort of my like my my, my quick like oh it's it's the John Stuart Wonderful. types. Cool. I, I yeah, I didn't think of that, but that would definitely make sense. Um, and so I thought that the way that she did that was very very clever um and i think i don't know i feel like the way that you said it when you said the book is it's very smart um and i there's a lot more going on in the story than what you would originally think when you see this book that's called feed and so when i'm like oh we're doing you know a zombie series and like this is the book that i'm going to read and i don't know martha if pete got a chance to tell you i had the most ridiculous time getting a hold of this book because oh, no. um, I went I went to the library and I had put it on hold and everything was fine and they I guess they don't have book number one in the system and so instead of giving me feed it gave me feedback which is like number four after the trilogy was done and it was yeah feedback very... is like stories that fill in the gaps I think. Yeah, I don't know. So the library tried to mess with me. And I mean, it was fine because I, I got it on Kindle. Um, but I was it just like the time could have been used differently. <laughs> so I was not super excited about that. So I'm like, okay, I'm ready for this zombie book. Like I only have a couple days left and we have a wedding this weekend. Like I'm, you know, crunch time. And so I started and I was just like, oh my gosh, like this is not what I expected at all. So I think this also kind of fell more in line of these um I don't remember how you said it, Pete. The stories that are not necessarily mainstream but have a lot more depth to them um, in terms mm-hmm. of how they approach the topic because um, it was very interesting for me to to see the politics within this and how like the zombies were an extremely relevant factor that influenced the story, but there was also this huge you know, theorized political and medical conspiracy that they're desperately trying to prove. And the way that she wrote it, the zombies could have been taken out and replaced by a different kind of crisis. And a lot of the storyline could have remained just, just about the same with, with the, the pace and the way that she was able to develop things and, and utilize the the power structures and the playing on that. Um, so yeah, my head was my head was pretty dizzy after I finished this one, but <laughs> I did like it. Well, one one thing I know that um, Mira Grant I think wrote in the back of the book. I think there was like an interview with her that I read um, was that she was interested in um, like fear and terror and how those things like change our society um i i think it's a very prescient book and like the way that she changes society for zombies is great and also it's totally reasonable to have security precautions against zombies um but it's also like you know translating that to the war on terror or something um going through the security theater at the airports now it's like kind of unreasonable to do these things but also everyone is is afraid so that's what we do um and I, I know that was sort of like a running theme she had going through uh, her book, or at least that she said she had. Cool. So unless anyone has anything else to say about Feed specifically, 
Um, let's sort of pull this back and springboard off what I just said about how um, Feed was sort of talking about terror and fear. Uh, so, so we assigned three homework assignments where the zombies are symbols of very different things in each one. Um, so I kind of just want to end this episode by, by freewheeling and talking about, like, why zombies are such an effective symbol for so many different things. Um, we've been talking around this idea, and it's been working its way through our conversation, but uh, let's just face it head on. Um, whoever wants to, to jump in, go ahead. Well, I, I think part of it is that the big thing that zombies do in a story is they disrupt like zombies are a mode of disruption um so the big thing that they the big function that they usually serve in stories is to like change the world completely and i think that um the that root of um like societal disintegration the fear of societal disintegration is something that has like that fear is pervasive but depending on what society you're talking about, the cause of that can change. So you have like a common fear with uncommon roots that you can then translate into lots of different kinds of stories. Did that make sense or was that just a whole lot of word salad? Yeah. No, no I appreciate the disruptive thing. That kind of, I think to me, and I'm, I'm sorry, Pete, to, to cut yeah, you no, off. Yeah, no, go for um, it. Um, when you said that the disruption piece that to me kind of pulled in some of those socioeconomic things that we very briefly touched on at the beginning um, of the podcast where I mean this in a very nice way there's only certain groups of people who are really getting disrupted by the zombie situation when you look at these stories they're not going into the like the one percent is safe so, mm. you know, we're not seeing people who are already living within a gated community or a super secure community or up on the high rise, you know, what I mean, and I'm, I'm very vague in this right now. I'm sorry. I'm, but I think my thought process is when we're looking at this is more of like middle class America who is forced to have their lifestyle and their comfort zone. And for me, when you said that, I was kind of thinking like that safety bubble to have that be popped and to get out in the world and have to face a lot of struggles that without the part where you're being eaten alive, um, many other parts of the world already experience the, the disruption and the fear and and they don't necessarily have those same um, stability and, and comfort level that the people in zombie stories who are disrupted have. And that was not very coherently said, but I, I we, know what I meant in my head. We, we saw that especially with Feed, where there, there is definitely a line uh, near the end where they're at like a, I don't know, maybe it's a fundraiser or something, and it's like, oh, these are the rich and powerful people they do have to go through some security checks, but once they get there, it's a very different world than the world that most people are inhabiting. Um, I, what, one thing I, I think, too, is that, like, 
I really like the idea of disruption of like, and not just singular disruption, um, other monsters like ghosts and, and vampires and stuff, they never have a sense of total societal breakdown. It's more like they could influence a town or a family, but never like the entire world. Um, and, and so zombies are sort of best for huge breakdowns and huge sea changes. Um, but also a lot of, of people like to do the, the whole when everything, when people are pushed to their limits, how do they act? Um, and there is a great place for the zombie to become the metaphor. Um, you know, Night of the Living Dead, you shoot down the, uh, like the black guy who was the actual hero and protagonist of the movie. Dawn of the Dead, it's all about like an indictment of consumerism and shoppers because when pushed to the limits, the humans go to the mall and then just hang out in a mall um and 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 whatnot so i i think it's it can be many different sorts of symbols because it's all about pushing all of society to its limit and seeing sort of how humans react from there and based on the author's uh you know interpretation of humanity that's going to lead to a different symbol I think it also is a little bit revealing for the author about what they find to be, like, comforting. Mm -hmm. uh, or, like, the places that they push their um, characters to go, I think also says something about the place that the author is coming from. Like, what they consider to be the stuff that's worth preserving. Or, um, you know, there, I feel like there's inevitably a conversation in zombie stories where the people are like, you know, how do we stop ourselves from becoming monsters our own selves? And then it's like, well, what does the uh, author consider to be monstrous? Right, right. I, I, I only saw the first season of Walking Dead. Uh, I read a lot further into the comics, but there's a lot of that sort of thing happening in in the comics for sure and i think that show as well this is what i will say about the walking dead tv show the first season was a perfect miniseries <laughs> <laughs> and it needed no more and then i watched about half of the second season said oh wow this is boring and i never looked back <laughs> yeah i i watched the first season loved it second season started getting bad reviews almost immediately and i'm like i don't need farmhouse this season so yes exactly yeah. um cool anything else we want to talk about for zombies or else we will go into the outro i think i'm zombied out cool i think for me one of the things that honestly doing this podcast with you guys was really interesting because it opened up three very different perspectives on something that i just kind of have taken for granted as a piece of pop culture hmm. and and I think, like, going in and looking at the the idea of what zombies mean to us was very interesting. Like, I feel like I have some follow-up ideas on what I would want to look at after this and just kind of, I think, continue in that vein of, like, taking a couple things and they're within the same topic, but how they come to approach it and, and what they bring to the table that hasn't necessarily made a ton of money or is like in the top 100 films of all time but like what it can do in terms of storytelling I think has been really interesting for me because I was 
when I started, I started kind of just recapping with warm bodies because I've seen it before and was like, okay, well, I remember this, like, this is what I'm looking for. These are my questions to focus on. And it was very interesting to approach it from a purposeful analytical point of view as opposed to just like, hey, um, you know, chilling at home, watching a movie, and it just happens to be about zombies, and I'm in this for the scare factor as opposed to the meaning behind it. Um, so, yeah. So look forward, look forward for Austin's new podcast called Zombies. <laughs> Dude, you could totally do an entire podcast on zombie media, and I would actually, frankly, be surprised if somebody wasn't doing that already. I, I know. Be... Even in this... Yeah. Even in this episode, we brought in, like, seven other different zombie-related, like, media things. Yeah, just random things that came up in conversation. Yeah. I bet, I bet someone's doing it. That is all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere else fine podcasts can be found. Or, honestly, you're listening to this podcast right now. You know where to find it. But go ahead and tell your friends to rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, our home on the web is homeworkpodcast.com, and you can find us on Twitter at DYDYHpodcast. Uh, like everything else, we're also on Facebook, um, and you can email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com, leaving us suggestions, ideas, reviews, um, homework topics, or even homework assignments. Uh, really, whatever you want to send us. Um, Austin, do you have uh, an internet presence? And if so, do you want to share it with people? Do I have a what? Like, do you have Twitter, Instagram, that's public? Do you want people to know where to find you on the internet? Um... About half our people say, no, I don't want random strangers to find me on the internet. <laughs> um, I would say no for now. I'm pretty... I'm done with Facebook unless it's like an events planning forum and instagram is more like friends and family yep yep i've got that same structure martha where can people find you uh you can find me on all the places at magical martha cool uh and you can find me on twitter at pico 3000 p-i-k-o 3000 politics pop culture and the world cup is what i'm talking about right now <laughs> uh yes. next episode we are uh it's the middle of july summer break no homework uh, Martha and I, and maybe a guest, we'll figure that one out, are just going to be talking about the media of the summer. Uh, movies, music, books, things we've just been reading and enjoying. Uh, a nice, low-key, no-homework episode for you since it is July. What we've been enjoying, what our disappointments have been, what has or has not lived up to the hype, etc. Etc. Exactly. Um, and I think that'll be happening after Ant-Man and the Wasp comes out, so that might be on the list of things we'll oh. talk about, maybe. Yes. Um, cool. Uh, so until next time, I would say normally do your homework, but there's no homework next time. So enjoy the beautiful summer weather. Class dismissed. <laughs>